Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. This is the fourth in our four-part series that we've entitled Advent. And what we've done is we've taken a look at some of the most popular, well-known church Christmas hymns and the scriptures that would be underlying those hymns. And this morning it's, it's a passage that really speaks of a great mystery. It's a passage in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, that speaks of messengers. And actually, these messengers are quite mysterious. And uh, they come from the east. And you might know these messengers as the three kings. As a matter of fact, if you grew up in a Hispanic home, perhaps Three Kings Day is more prominent in your thinking than actually Christmas Day. Three Kings Day is celebrated on January the 6th of every year, and it marks the end of the three wise men's journey, 12-day journey, to give gifts to Jesus in Bethlehem. And instead of leaving milk and cookies underneath the Christmas tree on December 24th for Santa, on Three Kings, typically, children leave grass and water in a box under their beds on the evening of January the 5th to feed the king's camels in hopes that the three kings, Melchor, Gaspar, and Balthazar, would return the favor with gifts of their own on the morning of January the 6th. Now, Three Kings Festival comes in many sizes and shapes. Disney has picked up on the three kings. You know, Disneyland in Anaheim, they've been celebrating three kings now for about four or five years. It's a big deal. Uh, Here in Miami, we always have a three kings parade on Calle Ocho. And uh, some of you may have fond memories of Three Kings. You, you may have grown up receiving gifts both on the 25th and January 6th. Nice. Friends, Three Kings Day is part fact and part fiction. It's kind of like Santa Claus, only with biblical characters. So let us dive into our text today. Let's see if we can find out the fact from the fiction on Three Kings Day. Let us read together with a discerning eye about these messengers. And, and let us ask ourselves this question. Why is this narrative in the Gospel of Matthew? Let's read together. Are you there? Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And I feel especially anointed this morning as my Bible was baptized earlier, along with all of my notes and my iPhone. Yes. Yeah. Here's, here's a, a fun fact. Because the auditorium is built on a slant, when you spill your water, it baptizes my Bible. <laughs> Which this morning it has. All right, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Interesting, Herod the king of the Jews had to ask where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. There's a reason for that. In Bethlehem of Judah... Or so it is written by the prophet, quote, 
And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod they departed to their own country by another way Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 tells us that some time after Jesus birth in Bethlehem of Judah during the reign of Herod king of the Jews wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, looking for the one who had been born king of the Jews. They were led to Jerusalem by a star, and they came so that they might worship him. You see, the Bible does not pinpoint a specific day that they came to Jerusalem, only that it was after Jesus' birth. Most scholars say it was well after Jesus' birth. Some scholars say it may have been as late as two years after Jesus' birth. Birth. Hence, the first fiction, which we corrected here, is that there are no kings bowing in the manger on the night of Jesus' birth. <laughs> that would be fiction. Now, chapter 2, verse 6 tells us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, David's birthplace. And according to the Old Testament, quoted in verse 6, when you read verse 6, that's Matthew quoting the Old Testament, the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. In the Old Testament, that was written about 400 plus years before the birth of Jesus. Micah tells us that the Messiah, the king, the one who's going to reign forever, is going to be born in Bethlehem. This is, in fact, where the wise men found Jesus. And as for the wise men, well, the Bible does not go into any great detail about them. We know from history that they were experts in astrology, interpretation of dreams, and other secret arts. In fact, the Greek word translated wise men in verse 1 is the word magos. Or, as we would know it in the Hispanic community, los reyes magos. We get the English word magic from that word. So we know that these were wise men. We know that they came from the east, and we know that they were in the astrology, and they were given to bad money. We good now? All right. Great. And we know that um, they were Gentiles. They were pagans. Most scholars would say that they came from Babylon, modern-day Iraq. And though it is a beautiful thought to think that they were kings, there is simply no evidence that they were kings. So actually, three kings 
would be fiction. But what is fact? What the Bible does tell us very clearly is that they were pagans. They were astrologers. It may be fiction that there were three of them. Some scholars say the reason they came up with three is because of the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the scriptures clearly tell us that these were pagans. These were people who had no idea about the Jewish king. They had no idea about God. The fact is the Bible is clearly telling us that Gentile astrologers were led by a star. And how that worked, we're not sure. But that's what the text tells us. Here's what we are sure of. That the God who created that star is the God who used that star to lead these pagans, to lead these Gentiles into Jerusalem to ask about the king of the Jews and then to lead them to Bethlehem. Here's the question. Why? What is God doing here? The answer is found in Scripture. God is keeping his promise. What promise, Al? His promise in Genesis chapter 12. His promise given to a man who was living in modern-day Iraq, Babylon of this time, in the deserts of Babylon who did not know God, a man that God would choose to be the first Hebrew, and he made a promise to this man. He made this promise probably in 2000 BC, 2000 years before Christ's birth. Here's what he said. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. He was in modern day Iraq, the Babylon area and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you speaking of Israel. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. Here we go. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jesus, born 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years after this prophecy, is that promised one through whom God would bless all the nations. Jesus, a Jew born of the line of Abraham, would fulfill this promise. All the nations shall be blessed in Christ the Lord, and these wise men represent all the nations. What in the world are a bunch of wise men, a bunch of pagan astrologers, doing, going to Jerusalem, looking for the king of the Jews? And not only looking for the king of the Jews, but look at the text again with me. What did they come to do? Look at verse 4. Verse 2, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to what? At the end of verse 2, worship him. You see, God is using these pagan Gentile wise men, these magos, these magicians, these people who had no idea about God nor the king of the Jews. And he's saying, I'm going to bring them to Bethlehem. And they are coming to worship Jesus. This is the headline for this message. This is the headline for this text, and it's simply this. Worship Jesus the Christ. Worship Jesus the Christ is the main point of the text. The next slide. There you go. Worship Jesus the Christ. 
See, he uses these wise men. He brings them to Jerusalem. That, that star is, was God's hand leading them. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary. Now, they're in Bethlehem at this point. His mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. They told Herod, we've come to worship him. When they see the baby Jesus, they fall down and worship him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. The first thing they did was rejoice exceedingly. Wow, what a contrast. Look at verse 3. How did Herod respond when he heard this news of a king? When Herod the king heard this, verse 3, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Pagan astrologers rejoice exceedingly to come worship the king of the Jews and the earthly king of the Jews is troubled. By the way, where it says there, rejoice exceedingly in verse 10. You see that? Probably a better uh, uh, interpretation of that would be they were deliriously happy. Listen, this wasn't just a mildly pleased. Oh, look, there is the king of the Jews. We We are pleased to be here. No, these guys went crazy. They were giving the treasures of their life. They came and lavished Jesus with everything. They were deliriously happy. Now, here's the application for us early on. This Christmas, let us not be like Herod, who was troubled by the existence of the true king of the Jews, but rather let us be more like these wise men who rejoiced exceedingly, who were deliriously happy at the coming of the king of the Jews. Now, I can understand why Herod was troubled. After all, Though he was the king of the Jews, Herod was not a Jew. Herod was a puppet of the Roman government. Herod was more interested in keeping his kingdom than in worshiping the true king. Does that describe us at times? Does it describe us at times? Are you and I more interested in keeping our kingdom than worshiping the true king? Here's how we can tell. What makes us deliriously happy? I mean, that's the question. What makes us deliriously happy? What makes you deliriously happy this Christmas? What's at the core of who you are? Here's the same x-ray question designed to reveal our hearts, but flipped on its head. What troubles you? See, what truly troubles you? Or the other side of that coin, what truly makes you deliriously happy tells you what you or whom you truly worship. In verse 11, we learn that when the wise men fell down to worship Jesus, they opened their treasures and they offered him gifts. And in so doing, they opened a window of revelation to Jesus and they called us to worship him with our treasures. Look at the treasures that they gave to Jesus in verse 11. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. God calls us this morning to worship Jesus Christ, opening up our treasures and giving him our very lives, what we treasure most, what makes us deliriously happy, what's at the center of our lives. Point one, worship Jesus Christ, the king. The Bible specifies these three gifts in verse 11. Look at them with me. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The first gift, gold, 
most probably financed Joseph and Mary's trip to Egypt right after this text. Because when Herod found out that these three wise men found the king and didn't tell him, he immediately started killing all the babies that were two years older and under, which is, by the way, why some scholars say it was two years later. And so they probably used the gold to finance their trip, all-expense-paid trip to Egypt with their little baby. All right? But that gold, I think, is far more important in telling us that what they were doing is they were paying homage, they were worshiping the king. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary here, helps us understand that. Quoting from that commentary, Gold is the medal of kings. When gold was presented to Jesus, it acknowledged his right to rule. Jesus Christ was a king, as the wise men knew, and they only knew it because God revealed it to them. He was the king of kings. He wasn't just the king of Israel. Yes, he was that. He wasn't less than that. But he was the king of kings. Matthew is talking about Jesus' kingship, Jesus' authority. It begins with Jesus' authority. Jesus is the Christ. He's the king, but not just the king of the Jews of all the world. And it ends with Jesus' authority. Don't you know how Matthew ends? Right before he ascends into heaven, what does he say to his disciples in Matthew 28? All authority has been given me on heaven and earth. It begins with his authority, it ends with his authority, and it calls you and me to worship him. What makes us deliriously happy? What grabs your attention? Or what troubles you? Those point to whom, what you truly worship. The gold represents the king, Jesus. He is the king of kings, friends. He's the ruler of the entire universe. Do we worship him? Do we bring him the treasure of our life to worship him? Is he at the center? Is he at the center of your relationships? Is he at the center of your finances, your decisions about what you do, where you do it, with whom you do it, what you give yourself to, what truly makes you happy and joyous? What's your go-to when you're vegging? What's your go-to when you're stressed and you need some a break? What's your go-to when you need to be recharged? That will tell you as much who's the king of your life than anything. Yes, it includes obeying God, but it includes what's at the center. What fuels me? These guys brought their treasures. You understand the gold is gold, right? Like it was really expensive. Just because you think they were kings with plenty of money. Well, they, they had finite resources. They brought gold. <clears throat> what do we bring? What moves us? Do we bring our lives? I love what Corey said. Yeah, we, we do bring our treasures. Talked about the offering. But that just represents who I am. Do we worship him? Number two, worship Jesus Christ, the great high priest. All right, now we get into the funny stuff. The frankincense. The frankincense. What in the world is frankincense? Well, I want you to imagine it with me. It is a spice. You ready? I want you to smell it with me. It is a sort of a piney, lemony, sweet, woody kind of spice. Can you smell it? Ah, All right, that's frankincense. Now, what was frankincense used during that time? Well, the second gift that the wise men offered to Jesus was normally used in temple worship. Again, quoting from James Montgomery Boyce, incense was used in the temple worship. It was mixed with the oil that was used to anoint the priests of Israel. Incense gave the offering its pleasant odor. 
the offering of Jesus life as our great high priest gives our lives a fragrance that is pleasing to God. See, frankincense is pointing to Jesus' role as the great high priest. Jesus' role as the one who intercedes for me, takes my sin, the stench of my sin, and replaces it with the sweet aroma of Christ's obedience and perfection. And brings to our lives, individually as a church, this aroma that as we worship today is sort of wafting up into heaven and filling God's nostrils, metaphorically speaking. And he says, those are my people. Jesus was anointed with frankincense to represent his role as the great high priest. He represents us before God. He represents God to us. He is our life. He is our king. That's the gold. He is our great high priest. He gives us all that we need. Listen, I was thinking about this this Christmas time, and oftentimes Christmas can be a very difficult time for people. Did you know that? There could be a lot of people that are hiding depression. There are going to be a lot of people that are wrestling around the Christmas time. 2015 could have been a difficult year for you. Perhaps you're anticipating 2016 and you're wondering, where am I going to find help? I'm stuck in my sin. Al's talking about Jesus as my king. But you know what? I don't deliriously delight in Jesus. I deliriously delight in things that I know I shouldn't be. Half of them I'm hiding from others. And what troubles me are things that reveal that my heart is, is set on me. I'm my king, Al. And I'm a lousy king at that. And you could be troubled. Where do I go? Listen, Jesus is your great high priest. And it reminded me of Hebrews 4. Just listen to this. I'm going to read it to you. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. Do you need mercy this morning? It's in Christ. And find grace. Do you need grace this morning? To help in your time of need. That is what the frankincense represents. That is what the wise men are speaking to us this morning when they brought this gift of frankincense. Worship Jesus, your great high priest. Finally, worship Jesus Christ, the Savior. The third gift offered to Jesus was myrrh. What does myrrh smell like, Al? Think of black licorice. You got it? Smelling it? That's myrrh. Over a 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes were used to anoint Jesus' body when he was crucified. Guys, myrrh was used to anoint bodies back then because they didn't have embalmers. When someone died so they wouldn't stink, you would load their body with myrrh. Wait a second. Are these kings mocking? Are these three wise men mocking Jesus? Who would ever think of anointing a baby with myrrh? That would be like giving a a small coffin to someone at a baby shower. It's inappropriate. Or is it? Or is it? Because what these wise men were saying is this. This baby was born to die. Now, they didn't understand it. God did. God is sovereign. 
God's bringing the nations to the king of the Jews. He's the king of kings and Lord of Lord. God is bringing people to the great high priest who will represent them before God, not just the Jews in the temple, but he will be the temple and he will represent them on the cross and he will do that by dying for them. Again, James Montgomery Boyce commenting here says, for just as gold speaks of Christ's kingship and incense speaks of the perfection of his life as great high priest, so does myrrh speak of his death. It's a very appropriate gift because Jesus was born to die on the cross as the perfect sacrifice, as the great high priest passing once and for all in the heavenly tabernacle with his blood on the heavenly altar so that you and I might come near to God. What comfort, what grace. These wise men were, were prophesying, so to speak, the very things that King David had spoken a thousand years before Christ was born. Look at Psalm 22.1. My God, this is a messianic psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me, saving me for the words from the words of my groaning? And then Matthew, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, this very same Gospel reading now, in Matthew 27, 45 to 46, quotes this passage again. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, this gift declared the truth Truth, here's fact, no fiction here, this is fact, that Jesus Christ was to suffer and die for the sins of his people. He would be rejected that we might be accepted. If you've never known Jesus this way, my prayer is that you would repent and believe. My prayer is that this morning, right now, God would give you the understanding and he would lead you by his Holy Spirit, not by a star anymore, but by the Spirit of God that you would understand as those those wise men understood that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're not the king of your life. He's the king of your life. And that you would acknowledge it and bow your knee. There's some of you right now that there are things you need to bow your knee to. Just acknowledge that. And that you would receive him as your great high priest that you cannot atone for your own sins. The guilt that racks you. Jesus took it by his blood the, the mistakes you made, the things you've done that you're so sorry for. Jesus is your great high priest. You're, you cannot put on enough cologne, man-made cologne, to remove the stench of your sin. But the sweet fragrance of Jesus does. It cleanses you. It takes it away. And if right now you're wondering to yourself, how in the world... How in the world can I come to this great God? He's your Savior, Jesus, the Christ. Friends, here's the appeal. Open your treasures. Open your treasures. Dump them out before him. Worship Jesus Christ, the King. Worship Jesus Christ, the great high priest. Worship Jesus Christ, your Savior. For he alone can give us life. Let us pray. Worship team, would you please join me? Lord, I pray that you would give grace now to my friends and to me, that as we come before you, Lord Jesus, that we would bring our treasures, Lord, that we would bring the gold, we would bring acknowledgement, we would bring the understanding that it's your will be done, Lord, not my will.
You are the king, Lord. I'm not the king. You are the one who rules in my life. I do not rule my own life. We would lay that gift down at your feet, Lord, that we would bring that incense, Lord, that that frankincense. And we would say, thank you, Lord, that you're my great high priest. I cannot represent myself before God. I am in desperate need of mercy. Lord, there's some here this morning that would cry out mercy. Mercy. I'm caught in the snares of my sin. God have mercy. And that you would give them grace to help in their time of need. And Lord, we would bring to you that myrrh and we would say, Jesus, I acknowledge that you died for my sins. And some right now this morning who would repent of their sins and say, Jesus, you are my savior. I receive your sacrifice on the cross for my sins. The blood of Christ has covered those sins. Lord, that you would open their eyes and their minds to this truth, even as you did to these wise men. Just pause here for a moment. God's working, friends. The Spirit of the Lord is with us. We're about to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. He is with us. He's speaking to your heart through the word you just heard. The witness of the Spirit in the stillness of this moment. Receive God's grace. Christian in need of help. May the convicting power of the Spirit bring your heart light if you are in darkness. An utterance to your mouth to confess Jesus as Lord. Lord, as we sing this song, I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us in a special, peculiar way this morning, in the midst of all the craziness of this season. Come, O come, Emmanuel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel.